Good morning, everybody. How is everybody today? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it'll warm up. We hope. I mean, somebody put really pretty flowers out here. That's, like, optimistic, I think. Um, welcome. Welcome. Uh, if it's your first time here, I want to say thank you for coming. Uh, last night at my house, we had our small group, and we had a lot of fun. It was chaos in my house, and that is the way I prefer to have my house. My house is supposed to be loud. That's how I know it is being used to its fullest potential. Um, we had some friends there that came for the first time, and I was like, just just so you're aware, when you get to my house, it's going to be loud, because there are, like, what, 15 kids in our small group, and most of them are under the age of four. Am I right about that, small group, Michael, Seth? Yes. Yeah, that's about right, right? There's there's a lot of small children and there's a lot of big children and we're like, go downstairs. It was great. It was fantastic. We had a great time talking about the devotional series we're going through. Um, and I love getting together with my small group. It really jazzed me and made me really ready for Sunday morning worship with my big family. Um, so welcome. Welcome. Uh, 2022, we have a theme for our church and it's called Jesus is blank. And this year we're going to talk about who Jesus is and the names of Jesus. And we've been doing the sermon series of the same name, Jesus is. And we've been looking at the names of Jesus throughout this sermon series and looking at why that should impact our lives, why that should impact our faith, why these different aspects of Christ mean different things to us. Because together they make up the whole of Jesus. And we're just looking at different aspects of him that really benefit me. I don't know if this sermon series is benefiting anybody else. It's benefiting me. I've really been learning a lot. Um, so I hope you guys are too. I see Mike with the fist pump out there. Yeah. Um, so today we're talking about Jesus is the Logos. Not Logos like the Nike Swish or or the Panda from uh, the Buffet or what is it? Panda Express. Duh. But the Logos. Now that's a Greek word. I don't speak Greek, so I have to break it down for myself what Logos is. But we're going to read John chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 18. And this chapter, John uses the word Logos for Jesus. He's writing in Greek. We translate it a different word. So if you want to turn to your Bibles with me, um, we're going to be in John chapter 1. There's also bulletins in the back. If you did not get one yet, uh, there are notes inside to follow along. There's also a communication card. We'll hit that up later. Um, but we're going to be in John chapter 1. And it's John starts his book like this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came to the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. 
But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is God himself is near the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. John starts off, in the beginning was the Word. We can, that's Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. And some of you are like, what does that mean? How is the Word, how did the Word already exist? And how was everything created through the Word? And why does it matter that this Word that we're translating, Word, is Logos? Why is the Word, Word, capitalized? Why does Mike keep saying Word, Word? Word. That's what I want to hopefully get through today. I want to talk about Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Logos. Because it's really important that we understand that. In your notes, there's a, uh, a heading. It says, how should the, how should the logos impact my life? I want to put this out there for you today that I'm not going to answer that question. I'm not going to answer that question. I'm asking the question, how should the logos impact my life? And we're going to look at two things about logos today, two definitions of logos. But by me telling you what they're, they are, I'm not telling you how they're going to impact your life. I cannot answer this question for you. You need to take the information that you're going to hear today and look at your own life and say, see how the Logos should impact your life, should impact your faith. I can't tell you that. No one can tell you this is what's going to happen when you learn this thing about Jesus. Because if you read Scripture... There have been so many times that people told other people who Jesus was, what he meant for their life, and they just walked away. The knowledge didn't change anything in their life. It's what you do with the knowledge that changes your life. So today, I want to ask you this question. How should the Logos impact my life? And for you to be able to answer that, you need to know what the Logos is. You see, Jesus is the Logos, and that is a Greek name, and it has a couple of meanings, and both of them have significant meaning for our lives. And can I tell you, before the past couple of weeks, I only thought Logos had one meaning. I only thought it had one. It was the Word. That's what we translate it, right? That's that's the meaning, right? No, I learned more in the past few weeks about Logos than I have in the past few years. You see, the Logos should impact my life because Jesus was, is, and will be the Word. Jesus was, is, and will be the Word. John, when he starts his book, he ties the beginning of his gospel to the beginning of Scripture. In the beginning. He's tying creation to Jesus. You see, everything was created through Jesus. That's what Scripture tells us. That blows my mind. 
Because so often I read, Jesus showed up in Matthew chapter 1. But John's saying, no, no, Jesus is in Genesis chapter 1. He didn't have chapters, but you get the idea. So what does that mean for us? Well, if you think about your words, what are your words? Spoken words are audible representations of your thoughts, right? Sometimes we don't have filters and what is really in our brain comes out. I have that problem. I've I've really gotten better at that. But our, our spoken words are audible representations of what we're thinking. Our written words are visual representations of what we are thinking. Our words hold value. And that's just us. We're just human. Our words hold value. We can hurt with our words. We can heal with our words. We can love with our words. Our words are important. Jesus is the word. He is the word. He is God's thoughts manifested. But more than that, he is God. His words are way more powerful than mine. His words are way more important than mine. And his words can change lives. They can change situations. They can change the world. That's what he wants to happen. You see, in Revelation, John is also writing. In Revelation chapter 1, he says, when I saw him, verse 17 through 18, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. He will be the word. He is going to be alive forever. And we can be alive with him forever too, because that's what his word says. Later on in Revelation 22, he says, Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all the people according to their deed. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. Jesus himself is saying, He was at the beginning. He is right now, and he will be. He is the word. He is God's representation of thought. But he is God also. Can you understand that I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around all of this, right? I'm not the only one, right? I'm just, I'm just conveying to you what I am learning. Because I thought I had this down. I thought, oh yeah, Jesus is the word, right? That's done. We can move on. No, there's so much more to that. Because John ties it to the beginning of the scripture. Like, why? Why did you have to make this hard? This should be easy. But no, he wants us to be tied to the beginning. And see, the more I study scripture, and I believe I've talked about this from up here before, the more I study scripture, the more I see Jesus throughout scripture. The more I learn about who the angel of the Lord is, the more I see the pre-incarnate Jesus in the Old Testament. Mike, that's a big word. It is a big word. That just means Jesus before he was human. It was just God, Jesus, not God and human Jesus. He hadn't came as a baby yet. He hadn't died for us yet. He's 
the angel of the Lord. Mike, how do you know that's Jesus? Well, there's a few different reasons. We'll get, we can get into it later, but the big one is, is he accepts worship and no other angel accepts worship. So, you know, Jesus in the Old Testament, he's there and he's helping. You look at Daniel, you look at, um, Abraham, you look at all these people who talk to the angel of the Lord. <laughs> you look at Jacob who wrestled Jesus. Jesus is there. And he will always be there. I hope I've made that abundantly clear. Why does that matter, though? Why does that matter? Jesus is always going to be there. Why does that matter? You know, for me, it reassures me that he has a plan. He didn't dump us and then leave he wants to be with us i like playing computer games i don't get to anymore one you got to have a computer that is decent to play computer games and i don't and the other is i don't have time um but when i did i would love playing games like caesar 3 build a better rome or the sims or starcraft or these building strategy games and it was cool because you could start some processes, you could start building some stuff, and then you could hit fast forward and walk away for a little bit. And and you could just let it do what it did so that you didn't have to control it, you could leave. And then you could come back and hopefully, if things went right, you had all this stuff that you could do because you had walked away and it did it on its own. God could have just hit start and walked away. He could have just hit start and walked away and let us do our own thing. But he didn't. He stayed close. He, he, he is involved. He is so involved in the affairs of this world. In the affairs of our individual lives. He is involved. Mike, how do you know that? Where is your proof? My proof is the scriptures. Oh, okay, so like in the scriptures, so like the miracles and stuff. Yes, the miracles are important. That, that shows God was involved. But I'm not talking in the scriptures. I'm talking the scriptures, the word. Just the fact that we have God's word, we have Bible, is proof that he's involved in our lives. Just the fact we have his word. And then he sent his son, the word, to our world, and we have his words written down. Yes, the things that happen in the scriptures are important, but the scriptures themselves are proof that God wants to be involved in our lives. The law. Have you read the law? Have you read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Like, without giving up? It's hard. Because there's a lot of what really seems like repetitive things. There's a, there's a lot of like why questions that I have when I read it, but you know, God had reasons for that stuff. God had reasons. I, I, I like listening to people who are smarter than me talk about it. Like just the fact that the Israelites couldn't have rabbits is proof that God loved them. You're looking at me like, what? A lot of you are. Those of you who know anything about rabbits know they have parasites. And, and the parasites come out in ways. 
And if you ha- thank you, waste. That's the word, waste. And if you have rabbits, you can step in the waste. And but if you're a nomadic tribe, you're walking around a lot, so you get wounds on your feet, right? Have you ever walked around and and like camp? I think a camp because sometimes I just don't wear shoes, and that's dumb. But you get cuts on your feet, right? And if you're walking around in rabbit waste, you're going to get parasites in you. They're a nomadic tribe. They're walking around a lot. They can't have rabbits. So God says you can't have rabbits. They know nothing about parasites and rabbit waste. God does. God is involved in their life. We think it's silly. We think reading the law is silly. We think reading the word can be silly. But the more I learn, the more I see God's love for us, and the more I see his involvement in our life. In John chapter 1, verses 10 through 14, it says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He's made his home among us. He is still making his home among us. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus replied, Have have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? God is among us. And we know that because he sent Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of God's thoughts. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Jesus is the logos. I hope I've made that clear. I hope you have some understanding. I hope you have uh, a desire to learn more about that. Because I'm still learning about it. I thought I had it down. I don't. I'm still learning. I keep reading about it. It's, it's a present I keep unwrapping. And there's just more to unwrap. It's awesome. Understanding that God wants to be involved in our life and he sent the word along with his word, it's, it's beautiful. It's so much love. And I hope that we can see that. Because in the past, God sent his people, his prophets. God sent... Uh, he. He knew we were separated from him because of our sin. And he wanted to live with us. That's why it's so important that Jesus, the word, made his home among us. So that God could be with us. Jesus was, is, and will be the word. And I am assured that he is with me. What about you guys? Do you have the word with you? Is he with you? If not... There are people here who know Christ is with them, who know the word is with them. I would encourage you to talk to somebody you trust. How do I know the word is with me? Mike was talking about that a lot. I'm confused. Uh, He said a lot of things. Can you help me sort it out? Yeah. Somebody will sit down and sort it out with you. The second thing I learned this week, it's already on the screen, about what the Logos is, is Jesus is the reason. Don't say for the season. Some of you are already thinking it. It's not some cute way of talking about Christmas. I don't know about you, but did anybody tie 
the word logos to the word logic? Jesus is the reason. Jesus is reason. That sounds weird. It's not some cute way of talking about Christmas. And since forever, since forever, humanity has been searching for a question, the answer to a question. Why? Why? I got to read a lot of encyclopedias this week and the past week. And I, I came across this one. It's uh, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. And they had some really good information on logos and how we got to where we are in Scripture with logos. You see, way before Jesus made his debut as an infant, the Greek philosophers were already like really deep into the question, why? Looking for reason. There was a guy named Heraclitus. Heraclitus, Heraclitus, probably Heraclitus, I don't know, Greek name. He was practically the first who sought to account for the order which existed in a world of change by a law or ruling principle. This profoundest of Greek philosophers saw everything in a condition of flux. Everything is forever passing into something else and has an existence only in relation to this process. We cannot say things are, they come into being and pass away. To account for the state of perpetual becoming, Heraclitus was led to seek out a new and primary element from which all things take their rise. Time out. What did I just say? So, he sees things becoming and then unbecoming. So, they come into existence, they fade away. Think of leaves on a tree. They bud, they're pretty, it's warm out. Then it gets dark in the fall, and they fall. That's why Americans call that season fall, because leaves fall down. Everything passes away. Leaves are easy, because it, they only last half a year. But there's other things, like buildings. Uh, this week, somebody asked where I grew up. I pulled up a picture of the house I grew up in. It is rough looking. It's boarded up. There are trees growing out of the walls. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. The neighborhood itself wasn't rough, but the area is rough. And the house just fell into disrepair. It's really disheartening to look at it. The garage is all boarded up. There's like orange spray paint across the garage. There's trees growing. It's The windows are broke. I'm like, dang, the house I grew up in is fading away. Things come to be and they fade away. And this guy's looking for a reason. He's like, there's got to be something else. So he's looking for a primary element. A reason for which all things take their rise. Move forward. So I skipped through the Aristotle and the um, uh, Plato stuff. And we're moving on to the Stoics. So it says, it is to the Stoics we must look for the first systematic exposition of the doctrine of Logos. It is the key to their interpretation of life both in the realms of nature and of duty, interested in more than ethical and physical problems, they were compelled to seek general metaphysical basis for a rational moral life, some unitary idea that must be found which will overcome the duality between God and the world and remove the opposition between the sensuous and the supersensuous, which Plato and Aristotle had failed to reconcile. For this end, the Logos doctrine of Heraclitus seemed to present itself as the most satisfactory solution of the problem. 
The fundamental thought of the Stoics, consequently, is that the entire universe forms a single living connected whole and that all particulars are the determinate forms assumed by the primitive power which they conceived as never resting, all pervading fire. The eternal activity or divine world power which contains within itself the conditions and processes of all things they call logos or God. So, time out. What did I just say? I, okay. See where I'm at? The past two weeks, I've been reading stuff like this. It's like, ah! Okay. Layman's terms. They see things coming into existence and fading out. So there's got to be something, and they called it fire, that is the reason. And they called this logos, the reason, a god. The divine world power which contains within itself the conditions and processes of all things they call Logos or God. They were on the right path. They were just looking the wrong direction. You see, Jesus is that Logos. John brings in these Greek philosophers as he's talking to the Greek people. So they knew this stuff, right? They they listened to their philosophers in the town halls and Wherever they talk, the Areopagus, that's a big word. I'll throw that out there. But they listen to these Greek philosophers, right? And these Greek philosophers are looking for a reason. And they're talking about gods. And they're talking about the Logos. And John comes in on the scene and he goes, Jesus is the Logos. So for centuries, we'll say, these these philosophers have been talking about this Logos and they don't have an answer for it. And here comes a fisherman from Israel and says, oh, The Logos is Jesus. Thank you, Sheila. You get the humor in that. What? And it makes sense. That's the crazy part. Jesus is our reason, right? The the search for Logos starts with the Greek philosophers, but it should end with Christ. They were searching for a reason for being, and that, but that search didn't stop with them, and it didn't stop with John either. People today are still searching for a reason. And those of us that know Jesus is the reason, we know Jesus is the reason, right? We know it. We believe it. We have Jesus. And it makes sense, right? It is reasonable. But to the people who don't have Christ... Oh, it's so insane looking. In Acts 26, 25 through 26, it says, But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. You know it's bad when you have to start with, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure that these events are familiar to him. They were not done in a corner. They know what happened with Jesus. They know what he talked about. This is happening after his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And it was done in public. It wasn't done hidden. It wasn't done in the corner. And Paul's talking to Festus, and he's telling him everything that happened with Christ. And Festus is like, what? And he's like, I'm not insane. King Agrippa was there. He knows what happened. This isn't crazy. This is truth. This is reasonable. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, 
It says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? Where does this leave the Stoics and Heraclitus? That guy. And Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. Where does it leave him? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God, in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, they couldn't figure it out. You try reading that without anybody telling you what it means. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I had to read... I don't know what they're called. Are there still cliff notes? Spark notes. I had to read that to understand that. So I could explain it to you, so I didn't just look like some guy who knows what he's talking about. But (sighs) human wisdom couldn't figure this out. The world would never know him through human wisdom. He had used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. I'm okay to be foolish up here if it helps somebody believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Greeks say it's all nonsense. We exist to bring glory to God. My reason for being is to bring glory to God. We will all bring glory to God in different ways. But I exist to bring glory to God and to bring others to Him. I don't care if I look foolish up here, stumbling through some Greek names. If you understand that Jesus is the reason, I have done my job. If you understand that Jesus is reasonable, I have done my job. And if you think, oh, it doesn't look crazy to the world today, I want to talk to you about something. You see, our small group has been going through a devotional series, and it's been so powerful. We've been looking at Joshua, and we started week eight today of this devotional series. And each week gives us a memory verse. And last Sunday was the first day of the week, and it gave us the memory verse of Psalm 23 verse 5. Psalm 23 verse 5 says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I was like, oh, I love that passage. It's so comforting, right? It's such a great passage. It's so fun to, to think about Jesus setting a table for us. And, you know, he, he loves us. And then about Wednesday... On my Facebook feed, I start seeing pictures of the church in Ukraine on their knees in the snow in parks praying for their country. And then Friday, I see video of a church in Ukraine in the subway singing praises to God. Jesus set a table for them in front of their enemies. And that is insane to people who don't know Jesus. To me, we talked about this last night. I was like, that's a power move. That is people wearing the armor of God in front of overwhelming craziness that's happening right now. And they're saying, we love Jesus. We trust Jesus. He's our reason. And I talked to my small group last night. I was like, I would love to say I would do that. I think I would. I think I would. 
But I have never been tested like that. And I hope I'm never tested like that. But this faith that God calls us to have seems insane to the people who don't understand it. Jesus is the word and the reason, and he is reasonable. If you have no idea what I am talking about this morning, I would encourage you again, find somebody who's invited you to this church. Find somebody you trust who knows scripture. And if they don't know it, they're going to find somebody who does. And we would love to sit down and open up scripture and talk to you about how this is reasonable and about how you can have that faith. In your bulletin, there's a communication card. You can fill it out. It's got your information. It's got some boxes you can check. If you want to under, if you want to understand more, talk, check out on a personal Bible study and fill out your information. Somebody will be in contact with you. We don't have an altar call. We think you can make a decision right there in your own seat. I want to encourage you. Don't be afraid to ask questions. That's how you learn. I still ask questions. I ask questions all the time. You can ask Alan. Me and him, we talk about some stuff. There's, there's, there are times I walk away with a headache and I have to come back a week later. But I want to learn. I want to more, know more about this reason, about this word that I have. There's a space for prayer. Uh, we have a prayer team that prays over every prayer request. It's not something where people go around and talk about it either. It's something that's really confidential and and it's a benefit to take your, your prayers to God and have other people pray for you. There's a lot going on in our world right now, but we can be assured that God is with us. The word has made its home among us, and it is reasonable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, first I want to lift up our world to you. There is insanity in this world right now, God. There is selfishness. There's brutality, God. And the crazy thing is, is I know that you're at work. I know you love us and you want to see the best for us and you want to see the best for your children. And I pray that all over the world, people can come to you. They can seek you out. They can find you because you are not hidden from each of us. And they can learn more about you because everything you do is not done in the corner. As Paul said, Father, you... You are in the open and you are there for us. All we have to do is turn to you. I want to I want to pray for Ukraine. I want to pray for Russia. I want to pray for all those involved, all the innocents that are involved right now, Father. There's so much to pray for. I just lift all of that up to you, God. I want to pray for our, our local church. Um, I want to pray for the people here, Father, that we can all seek you and we can all turn our lives to you and follow you. It's the best choice I've ever made in my entire life, Father, to have you in my life. God, thank you so much for being willing to be among us, wanting and desiring that relationship with us, Father. Help us today to live in this world the way you want us to, to be a light in a dark place, to look insane and be okay with that because we're honoring you. We love you, Father. It's in your name I pray. Amen.